0: He is the way maker. He is the miracle worker. He is the promise keeper. He is light in the darkness. And he's also the God of the amen. Uh, Isaiah chapter 65 is where uh, we're going to pick up where we left off last Sunday night. And and, uh, uh, there in Isaiah chapter 65 talking about the God of the amen and and by the way if you weren't here last Sunday night we uh, on our, our media page on uh, at underwoodbaptist.org we have uh links to uh uh, messages, some of it's video messages, some of it's audio messages. We got a podcast, an Underwood podcast, and you can get uh, hooked up uh, with us there, and you can hear uh, if you miss a, a Sunday night, if you miss a Sunday morning, if you miss a Wednesday night, uh, if you're doing something else on Wednesday nights, working with children, singing in the choir, you can, you can catch all that uh, that you want. And not only that, but we've also got uh, YouTube pages and things for uh, our, our college ministry, for our life ministry, for the hub, for our youth ministry. And you can listen to Brother matt and brother trey as well and so the opportunity uh, is is there for the uh to be fed uh, from god's word and to uh, uh to study god's word and to hear those messages and, and that's why we do it want you to take advantage uh, of that but isaiah 65 we're talking about this this god of the amen and just to kind of remind you uh in, in, in verse six uh uh it's verse 16 where he's called the God of truth. In the Hebrew, that is the word El Amin, God of the Amen. And that, that is who he is. Uh, he is the God of the Amen. He is the God that, that proclaims truth and everything that he says is, is Amen. Uh, there is an, an Amen to it. There is a, a, a truth to it. It is real. He is, is really is this God that is described in Isaiah 65. And that's what we were working our way through. I'm not going to bu- go back and, and read all the verses. We got through uh, verse 10 last week. But we talked about that the God of the Amen is a God of grace. Amen? He is, and I, but not only is he a God of grace, but he's also a God of holiness. He's also a God of the remnant, and he's also a God of rest. And so we were looking at that in verses 1 through 10. And so tonight, we're just going to pick right up in, in verse 11 and just uh, and work our way through this, this passage of Scripture and, uh, and, and look at the God that is described here, this God of the amen. And this next truth that we're looking at here about him, it's a little bit surprising because he is the God of rejection. And when I say God of rejection, the first thing that we think of is that, that who does God reject? He doesn't reject anybody, but he is a God who is rejected by many. And that's what I mean by the God of rejection. Look in verse 11 where it says, But you are those who forsake the Lord, who forget my holy mountain, who prepare a table for Gad, and who furnish a drink offering for many. Therefore I will number you for the sword, and you shall all bow down to the slaughter. Because when I called, you did not answer when I spoke, you did not hear, but did evil before my eyes and chose that in which I do not delight. Uh-oh. <laughs> That's a tough passage, but it is real. He's the God of the amen. He doesn't, he doesn't butter things up. He doesn't try to present things as they're not. This is the reality of the world that we live in. This is the reality of much of Christianity or what goes under the name of Christianity today. People have have come up with their own religion, their own God, and they call it Christianity, but it's not the God of the Bible. They ignore many truths of of God's word. They reject those truths, and they come up with this, this, this God of their own, but he's not the God of the amen. But he is rejected. This is not a passage where he's rejecting us, but it is people that are constantly rejecting him. And that's the way it was when Jesus was here. Yes, he he preached to big crowds, but there wasn't a big crowd there when he got crucified. All throughout his ministry, he was rejected by his hometown in Nazareth. He was rejected by the religious leaders. He was rejected at times because of his touch teaching. He was uh, eventually rejected by the the crowds that came for healing when he didn't do what they wanted him to do. If he didn't jump through those hoops, they rejected him. And when his teaching got tough, many left him. Matter of fact, in John chapter six and verse 66, after he had told them about uh, the the difference in their, their faith and how many of them were not following following after him and, and and were not sincere about what they were doing. It says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. I'm afraid that's where we are today, and there's a lot that could be said about that. He talks in verse 11 about those who forsake the Lord. The word forsake means to to untie and separate. The root of that word means to untie. And it's the idea of, of untying uh, an animal and it runs off from you because it's it's not tied up any longer. And sometimes that's the way people do with God. They, God unties them and they run off. They don't come to him anymore. It says in verse 11 that we forget him. and That word forget doesn't mean that we just forgot where we put God or, or something like that. That that word forget where he says, who forget my holy mountain. It's it's not just a mental lapse. It's an intentional spiritual ignoring that they don't want to go to his holy mountain. They don't want to meet with him anymore. And then he goes on in verse 11 says, Who prepare a table for Gad and who furnish a drink offering for many. M-E-N-I. That passage of scripture there. So if you've got in your Bible, let's, let's do a little interaction there. If you've got a Bible, it probably has a note there with Gad. What is, in your Bible, what does it say that Gad is? Do you, do you see that? Fortune. There you go. And what does it say that many is? M-E-N-I. Destiny. Destiny. Y'all, you see, maybe it's in your Bible, maybe not, but but if you've got a, a some kind of study Bible or something like that, it probably has those notes. Fortunate, see, that's what they were doing. They had, Gad and many were this these idolatrous religious practices that people, they would go in, they'd offer a sacrifice to Gad, hoping that Gad, this, this idol, would bless them with fortune. They would offer a sacrifice to many uh, and hoping that their destiny would be good and their destiny would be changed for good if, if it was for evil, that's what's, what was going on there. I think there's a lot of principle here about uh, the idea of, of, of gambling and things like that as well, that we think that that's the answer to all our, our problems, that we come in and we bow down to the God of fortune because that's what they were doing. They were bringing their gold and silver hoping to this idol of, of Gad, hoping that they would get more back, that they'd get more than they gave. And what ended up, the priests that, that did this idol worship, they were the ones that were getting rich, off of it. They were bowing down to the God of destiny. When, when we serve a God who provides for us, we serve a God who blesses us, but, but that wasn't good enough for them. They, they, they were trying to cover all their bases and to make sure, and they wanted to test the waters in this to, to see if, if that would come. And, and they were rejecting God's ways for the ways of the world and the ways of the idols. In verse 12, it says that they would not answer. And when he spoke, they refused to hear. And the picture of that is is that they put their hand over their ears and just wouldn't listen to him anymore. They were rejecting him. You see, when trouble comes and trials come and hardship comes, whether it be financial hardship or, or medical hardships or spiritual hardships or family hardships or whatever those hardships might be, those, those troubles, they don't change us as much as they reveal. They reveal what's really going on in our hearts. That's really what COVID did in the church. COVID didn't change the church. COVID revealed where the church really was. And that's why attendance figures in churches all across hasn't really bounced back up because it, it has shown us some things. And it showed us where our priorities were. And there's always going to be the temptation to turn your back on Jesus. But he's a God who knows how to handle that. He does. He, he talks there. That, I mean, that's tough where it talks about slaughter and sword. But understand what he's talking about. It's not saying that God gets the sword and comes after us to slaughter us. He's talking to them about the fact that the enemy's coming. Babylon's coming. <laughs> And the Babylon is coming because of their idolatry, but the reason Babylon was coming is to bring them back to a a heartfelt uh, relationship with God. Well, they couldn't worship these idols anymore. They were going into captivity. And they were going to have a long time to think and to pray and to repent over their relationship with God. And many of them did come back to God. I tell you this, when, when, when the nation of Judah came back from captivity... You don't read about idols anymore. Now, they had their idols. They just didn't have their idols on the mountain. When you come into Jesus' day, they had the idols of their religious acts and their religious duties, and the Pharisees and scribes had their own set of sins that they were dealing with. But you don't find the idol, idols up on the mountains and things like that any, any more. It's the God of rejection. But understand this as, as, as well. If, that, if we choose the enemy, we get everything that comes with the enemy. That's, that's really what, what hell is. Hell is not, you know, we, we talk about God punishing sin, and there is a punishment to sin, and that is a part of hell. But really, hell is not God just getting mad and angry and losing his temper and throwing somebody into hell. It is God out of brokenness and love and doing everything possible to redeem a soul that still rejects Him, says, You don't want me, then you get eternity without me. The God of the Amen knows how to handle rejection. He's not only the God of rejection, but He's also a God of provision. Verse 13, he, he goes on and says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God. And then he does this, this uh, back and forth, this contrast between the servants that rely upon God and the world that relies upon everything else, especially what we were just talking about, fortune and destiny and things like that, where he says, Behold, my servants shall eat. But you shall be hungry. Behold, my servants shall drink, but you shall be thirsty. Behold, my servants shall rejoice, but you shall be ashamed. We'll talk more about that rejoicing uh, in a little bit. Behold, my servants shall sing for joy of heart, but you shall cry for sorrow of heart and wail for grief of spirit. You shall leave your name as a curse to my chosen, for the Lord God will slay you and call his servants by another name. So here there's there's a lot we could say about that but I, I I want you to focus in on his relationship with his servants on those that that, that serve him how he how he provides uh, and uh, a satisf- gives them a satisfying provision that is there that they're able to to get what they they need in him whereas the world that that's those are the ones that turn their back on God they're the ones that come up empty and hungry and, and thirsty and they they eat and they eat but they're never satisfied by the way fortune and death destiny will never provide what God does. The things of this world will, will never satisfy. And as he's talking about his servants, he's talking about those that that desire him, that, that he is what they desire, that he is what we desire, that he is what satisfies us. And when you depend on Jesus for all satisfaction, you can be satisfied in him. He's the God of, of provision. That doesn't mean that... that, that that we don't struggle sometimes to pay our bills. That doesn't mean that, that we're going to be rich and wealthy to, to, to go out and to live lavishly. That's not what he's talking about here. But in Jesus, we have everything that we need. It is true. He's the, he's the God of the amen. Lean upon him, lean into him, rely upon him and the provision that he brings. He's the God of provision. He's the God of truth. Verse 16 says, So that he who blesses himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth. El Amin, the God of the Amen. And he who swears in the earth shall swear by the God of truth. El Amin, the God of the Amen. Because the former troubles are forgotten and because they are hidden from my eyes. Listen, the blessing here, if you look at it, the blessing that he's talking about is the blessing of God himself. It is a relationship with God himself. It's not material blessing, it's not physical blessing. It is him. What if if you had the option today? What if if God gave you the option tonight that you could have a million dollars or you could go to Sub Saharan Africa? And be a missionary and tell people about him. Which would you choose? A million dollars is a lot of money. But understand this. There is nothing greater than obeying and serving the God who died for us. That's not preacher talk. That's truth. That's what the God of the amen is talking about. We, We want this blessing. We want the favor of God. The favor of God is not material and physical blessing. The favor of God is a living relationship with Him. That is the blessing. He's speaking the truth. He's the God of truth. He's the God of the Amen. Every promise is true. You can be completely satisfied in Him. You can find the greatest joy on this earth in Him. And in him alone. Because he is true. He is real. There is no reality with him. He made us. We're not making him. He created us for a relationship with him. His salvation is real. His presence is real. His comfort is real. His joy is real. His love is real. His grace is real. His heaven is real. He's the God of truth. El Amin. He's also the God of the new. Look in verse 17. and Verse 17 and following, he gets into some future events, but there's still some practical application. because He talks in verse 17, he says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. And, and of course, he, and he's talking about a future event and we read about that in Revelation. We read about it in Isaiah. We read about it in other passages of Scripture uh, as, as, as well, that, that one day all will be made new. And it is made new by the God of the amen. God, But understand this, God it doesn't just wait till then to make things new. You need a, Newness to your relationship with God tonight, he will do that for you. He can do that. He's a God who restores. He's a God who replaces. He's the God who makes all things new. Matter of fact, in, in Revelation chapter 21 and, 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 and verse 5, it says, Then he who sat on the throne, and it's talking about the, everything that is made new. Matter of fact, this section in Revelation 21, the title of it in my Bible here says, All things made new. But this is what he said. The one that sat upon the throne, he said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write these, for these words are true and faithful. Basically, he was saying, It's Amen. He's not just making things better. He's making things new. It's a sure thing. It is going to happen. And he still makes things new. He makes new believers. He renews churches. We call it revival. And he can do that as well. He gives us new life in him. He's the God of the new. That's what the God of the amen. He's also the God of joy. I said we'd get to that. We mentioned rejoicing a minute ago. But look in verse 18. He says, but look at this. He says, but be glad... And rejoice forever in what I create, for behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing, and her people a joy. That's four times in one verse. And then he says, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard her, nor the voice of crying. That's six times in two verses. He talks about rejoicing and, and joy and delight. And all these things that are are there, that's what he brings. When it talks about uh, being glad there in in verse 18, it talks about an abounding delight, an overflowing delight, more than just putting a smile on your face or just laughing at a joke. This is is real joy that he's talking about. That word rejoicing, now get ready for this. We're talking about clapping just a minute ago, Brother David. That word rejoicing means spinning delight. (laughs) He's talking about, whoa. (laughs) He's talking about, Uh, uh, spinning around that you're so filled with joy you just can't stand still that's the presence of God in our life that's the type of joy that he brings to us and notice what he removes in verse 19 it talks about the voice of weeping is removed the voice of crying is removed yes one day there'll be no more tears but he comforts us in our tears even now As he works to heal and to help us. But then notice, and I may not get to the rest of this, but i got to point this out to you. Did you notice what verse 19 says, the first part of it there? God is speaking, okay? The God of the amen is speaking. And he says, he doesn't, he's not talking about us rejoicing. He's not talking about our joy. He, he was back up there in, in verse 18 telling us to be glad and rejoice. But in verse 19, he's saying, I, God, will rejoice in Jerusalem. And then look at this. And I, God, will joy in his people. I don't get that but the God of the amen says it's true and it's true. See, what he's talking, he's not talking about that he enjoys when we perform for him or that he enjoys when we obey him. He says, I rejoice. I take joy in my people, not what they do, but in them. And this is, this is, this is what the scripture is saying here is that not only will God never stop loving you no matter what you do, but God will never stop finding joy in you no matter what you do. And you know why? The cross. It's all taken care of. That. That's worth spinning around. <laughs> that, that's worth that that's amazing. That's the the God of the Amen, the God of truth said this truth. Uh, it, that, that makes me want to spend time with this God. That, that drives me to a want that deeper relationship with this guy. That makes me want to obey him. That make, that in, the, in the midst of the most difficult times of, of, of my life, that, that pulls me toward him and says, I will not leave you. I, will, I have nowhere else to run. You are my joy. The God of joy rejoices in us. Mm. and this God that does these things he is the God of the future we just read verse 17 through 19 let me read through the end of the chapter where he says no more shall an infant from there live but a few days now he's talking about the millennial reign that's that's what he's describing here It's, it's very similar to what Scott described in revelation there's a distinct connection there we did a series on Wednesday nights on what's next, and we talked about the rapture and the tribulation and the return and the millennial reign and eternity and the great white throne judgment and the judgment seat of Christ. All these things, we were talking about that on, on, on Wednesday nights, so I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail, but that's, that's what he's talking about here. It says, no more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For a child shall die 100 years old, but the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. You see, there's going to be people alive during the millennium that do not put their faith in Christ. They shall build houses and inhabit them. Here he's talking about the believers. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat for as the days of a tree so shall be the days of my people and my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. What's he talking about here? He's talking about not only longevity because of this ideal environment and the removal of crime, but he's talking about prosperity that there won't be any enemy to come and take it away. Matter of fact, during the millennial satanic and is bound for those thousand years and so he's not going to be working and I don't know about you, but I look forward to that day. He goes on, and I forget where I was. Where did I just leave off? Verse 22. Verse 23, they shall not labor in vain nor bring forth children for trouble for they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. And then verse 24, it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they're still speaking, I'll hear. I'll get back to that in just a moment. Verse 25 says, the wolf and the lamb shall feed together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox and the dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain says the Lord. God will transform even nature. And this day is coming, says the God of the amen, the God of truth. I don't know all the details. My description of some of the details may be wrong, but God's word is not wrong, and God's not wrong. And the God of truth says it, and all we can say is amen. Amen but this god of the future look back in verse 24 and we'll wrap things up he's the god of relationship the god of truth it's the god of relationship did you read did you hear that verse 24 it shall come to pass that before they call i will answer and while they are still speaking i will hear and this is what will happen during the millennial reign of christ But it is something that happens now because he's on the throne even now. And this is the relationship that we have with him now. Now, in order for this to happen, the speaking, the calling, then there's got to be a relationship. There's gotta be that this is there's gotta be, we've gotta be in the presence of one another. God and and, and us. It's a face-to-face thing. And that will happen that in the future. That that is true. But in the present, that's true as well. He is with us right now. He knows what you're thinking right now. He's the, the God of communion and he's ready to answer right now. He's ready to speak right now. He listens to us and he speaks and he moves and he answers. He's a God of communion. He's a God of intimacy. He's a God of relationship. He is a God that we can abide in. Matter of fact, that calls us to abide in him. It's more than just answers that that he has there. He's listening to us. He's working with us. He's speaking to us. It's conversation, it's communication. It's an intimate relationship that we can have with the God of the amen. Do you have that? This God of the amen should not be ignored. We ought to run to him. We ought to call upon him. We ought to talk with him and listen to him. We ought to live every day in his presence. Because we can. We can. Is that what you're doing? Is that your life? This is Doug Ferris, and I'm blessed to be the pastor here at Underwood Baptist Church. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. It's our prayer that you'll do more than listen to the sermon or gather religious information. We want you to encounter God, and we pray that He will impact your life. If you'd like to contact us for any reason, please go to our website at underwoodbaptist.org. All our contact information is there, and we look forward to hearing from you. I hope you are blessed by today's message.